take your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Thank you, worship team, for doing a great job today. Amen. Powerful voice, Mandy. We appreciate you so much. Matthew 6 and verse 24. If you're there, and as you're turning to Matthew 6, 24, if you are a guest today, make sure you fill out that connection card, and I'll be standing in the foyer to meet you and greet you. And if you have any questions, we'd love to help you. And so uh, we welcome all of our guests today. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Actually, let's look at verse 21 first. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. These are the words of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse number 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon is the word for money. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, I am on a sermon series called The Generous Life. The Generous Life. And this is part three or sermon three on the generous life. And so if you've been here on Sunday mornings, you'll know that I've been talking about how to be a generous Christian and how to handle your money wise with, with, with wisdom. And, um, and so um, this is the third series in the sermon and so thank you for being receptive. If you haven't been here to listen to the sermon series, I pray that you go to www.christpoint.net and listen to the sermons so you can be caught up, all right? So the generous life. And then on Sunday nights, we're doing a sermon series called Stuff We Don't Talk About. And then obviously, there is no church tonight because it's a holiday weekend, and it is the custom here at Christ Point that we cancel on holiday weekend. So no church tonight. Enjoy it with your family, and we will resume our our sermon series on Sunday nights next Sunday night, all right? So, um, the generous life. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. We pray, God, that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word, that your word go forth in power and boldness, and everyone shouted a great big amen. You know, money is, money is one of those subjects that a preacher doesn't really want to talk about because a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to money, especially money and the church. We don't want to talk about it. We have, um, we have seen a lot of corrupt practices in the church. We've seen a lot of mishandling of money in the church. We've seen a lot of people not handling money correctly and according to the Bible and biblical principles. We've seen a lot of pastors not walk in wisdom when it, when it deals with money. And if you've been in church anytime. Uh, in any length of time, I'm sure you have a story to tell. And not only have we seen corruption in the church dealing with money or mishandling of money, you also know that uh, even, even in our own lives, we face financial difficulty. And sometimes it's hard to get over those financial difficulties or maybe in our own life we've mishandled money. And so all of us got a story to tell. And I can just assure you at this church, nobody's getting rich off of your money. Um, I can assure you that your money is handled with wisdom. We have a financial committee composed of seven men who review the finances, review every check and transaction. They get a copy of the bank statement. They look at everything. We have an outstanding bookkeeper that makes sure everything is reported, and then all of that's reported to those group of men, those seven men. So there is financial accountability at this church. We want to make sure that your money is handled appropriately and it is spent to glorify God. Can I hear an amen? 
And so it's a touchy situation, but I understand something that as a pastor, I want you to understand my heart. As a pastor, it is my responsibility to preach on hard subjects. It may not be subjects that we want to hear. It may not be subjects that make us want to shout all the time. But these are subjects that will help us grow. And as a pastor, my responsibility is that you would be pushed and you would be challenged to grow in every area of your life. How many would agree with Pastor Josh? Not only are you to grow in your relationship with the Lord, but you're to grow in your devotional life. You're to grow in your marriage and your relationships, your attitude, your behavior. And ladies and gentlemen, you are to grow in how to handle your money. Now, Jesus talked a lot about money, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. He talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. Think about this. In the Gospels, there are over, the New Testament, there are over 500 scriptures that deal with prayer. 500 scriptures that deal with prayer. But in the New Testament, there are 2,500 scriptures that deal with money and possessions. In the Gospel alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every ten verses deal with money, and it deals with managing your possessions correctly. Now, some people may think, well, Jesus is obsessed with money. Jesus isn't obsessed with money. He's just afraid that you would be obsessed with money. He would be afraid that you would let money get to you, that you would serve gold instead of God, that you would run after the pursuit of money instead of running after the pursuit of God. You see, the way you handle money really does reveal a whole lot about you. Money is neutral. Money is neither good. Money is neither bad. But money does really reveal who you are. If you are a selfish, greedy person, if you come into some money, it will reveal and exemplify and amplify the person that you are. You will become more greedier. If you are a generous person then that money will exemplify how generous you truly are because money really does reveal the type of person that you are. Amen. People say, well, if I got a lot of money, I'd pay the church off. That really depends on what you do with the money that you have now. If you are generous with the money that you have now, I would believe you. But if you don't know how to handle the money that you have now, then I don't believe you because Jesus said in Luke 16 that if you handle your money, if you handle what is least, if you handle what is what is least, then you'll be able to handle with what is much. So how you handle your money really does reveal who you are. You've got to make a decision. Do I serve God or do I serve the gold? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said, where your money is, your heart will be. Where your money is, there will your heart be. Because Jesus knew that money had a, has a tendency to control us, that money has a tendency to be our God. Jesus even said the scripture I just read. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Either you'll despise the one or be loyal to the other. You cannot serve God and the word mammon is money. You can't serve God and money. Jesus is clearly saying that money is a competitor against God. Money wants to be your God. Money wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Money wants to tell you you can buy your way out. Money wants to tell you, trust me, I'll lead you home. Money is crying out to you, saying, trust me, lean upon me. I know that you're going through a hard time, but if you had more money, you can buy your way out. You can see your way out. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, we all agree that we have to have money to survive. We all have to have money to pay our bills. 
That's not the point. The point is, does money control you? Does money have you? Is money your God? Are you running after money more than are you running after God? Are you pursuing God more than you pursue money? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. The scripture says you seek God first, and he'll add to you. You don't go seeking money, so things will be added to you. You seek God, and all these things will be added to you. Am I serving God, or am I serving gold? Am I serving God, or am I serving gold? Am I worshiping my stocks, or am I worshiping the Savior? Am I worshiping my budget, or am I going after the King of kings and the Lord of lords and following biblical principles? Are you serving God, or are you serving gold? What is control in your life? Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he says, do not lay up your treasures. 6 verse 19, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and thieves will break in. Verse 20, Matthew 6 verse 20, but lay yourself treasures in heaven. Neither moth nor rust destroy, but where thieves can do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You got to get your priorities straight. You got to either go after God or you got to go after money. The very first week that I preached this sermon, I told you why we needed to give. Number one, we needed to give because giving is an act that glorifies God. Giving is an act that glorifies. When you give, you glorify God because you are acknowledging that God comes first. You see, people say, boy, I'm not giving my money because that church is too big. I'm not giving my money because the preacher will take it. I'm not giving my money because, you know, whatever. And, And that's the wrong attitude because the church represents his bride. This is God's institution. And whatever you think about the church, it's still his church. He still loves the church. The church is the number one institution in the world that feeds the poor. The church is the number one institution in the world that clothes the sick. The church is the number one institution in the world that feeds the needy. The church is the number one institution in the world that takes care of the destitute and the down and the out. The church has done more good in the world than we could ever imagine. It's been around for 2,000 years. Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you give to the church, you're not just given to the church. You are given to God. Amen. I said you're given to God. It's his church. It's his church. You glorify God. It's a giving is an act of guidance. When you budget and you put God first in your budget, it acts as a guidance. When you put God number one, I'm going to give him the first. And guess what happens? Then you prioritize. This comes second. This comes third. This comes fourth. When you put God first in your finances, it has a way of prioritizing what you spend. I'm going to put God first, and this is going to come second. You always should put him first. Number three, it's an act of godliness. Why is it an act of godliness? Because he is a giver. And when you give, you are exemplifying God. You are acting like God. How can you be a Christian and not give when he is a generous God and he is given to you? When you give, you are exemplifying the nature of God. When you give, it's an act of generosity because God's generous. And when you give, it's an act of gratitude. You are giving back or you're returning because you have a thankful heart. That was the first week. The second week, last week we said that sometimes 
we can't be generous because we don't handle our money right. We said last week that some people want to be generous, but they're not generous because they're not handling their money right. Did you know that 57% of all marriages break up because of money? I mean, money is a major issue. And sometimes we don't handle it right. It's called stewardship. We don't handle our money right. We want to give. We want to be generous. But we are in so much financial hardship that we don't know how to be generous. But 57% of all marriages in America break up because of money issues. Many people think that if I had more money, then I could take care of what I need to take care of. But statistically, it's been proven that you don't need more money. You just need to handle the money right that you already have. You need to effectively handle and manage the money that you already have. How many would agree with Pastor Josh on that? It's not about making more money. It's about handling the money that you already got. Amen. Do you know that one out of four Americans say they have no spare cash? One out of four Americans say they have no spare cash. America's number one fear, even above a terrorist attack, is running out of money during retirement. Number one fear. The average amount of credit card debt in a household with more than one credit card is now $9,312, an increase of 116% over the past 10 years. That is a major issue in America. The average savings rate is less than 2% of a personal income. That means a lot of people don't even have a savings account. Listen, folks, we've got to deal with money because money is something that we deal with day in and day out. I mean, you pay your bills online, you do online banking, you pay taxes, you deal with money every day of your life. It's something that you deal with. And we've got to know that as Christians, we've got to handle it right. We've got to handle it so that God gets the glory. You remember last week I said about your money, I said, number one, according to Luke 16, Luke 16 tells us that number one, that you are a steward. This is from last week. Number one, you are a steward. You don't own anything. People say, well, I'm not going to give my money. It's not your money. It's God's money. According to the parable in Luke chapter 16, you don't own anything. You don't own anything. You are a manager. And on judgment day, you're going to have to give an account of the money that you've wasted. You're going to have to give an account of all the money that you didn't use right. You've got to, it's, it's a resource. And what are you doing with your money? Are you using it wisely? Are you using it according to biblical principles? Or are you just spending it with no, with no accountability? Number two, The Bible says in verse 9 that you've got to use your money with an eye to eternity. What what did I mean by that? When you use your money and invest your money into the church, you are investing into people. And people is the fastest return that you'll get on your money. Amen. When you begin to give, you are investing into a church that deals with people. That's what we deal with. We pray for people. We love people. We clothe people. We give to people. When you give into your money, when you give your money according to Jesus, you are giving with an eye to eternity because your money can meet you in the next world. Hey, amen. Somebody say amen. All the money that you've given to the church and all the money you've given to missions, it's helping somebody. And I promise you, when you get to the other side, your money is going to meet you to the other side because you use your money and you invested to change people's lives. Can I hear an amen? He says in verse 10, he calls money the least. Jesus used the word least in verse 10. Look this chapter up when you go home and read it. Verse 11, Jesus said, if you're not faithful with the little money, 
How are you, God, going to bless you with much? How is He going to bless you with riches? I know some of us was like, God, give me more money if I can just have more money. And maybe the Lord is just saying, you need to be faithful, be a faithful steward of what I've given you and learn to put me first. Seek ye first the kingdom. Put me first and I'll take care of the rest. Jesus also said the second time in verse 13 that you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other. Either you're going to run after money or you're going to run after God. What is it? And then lastly, last week, I said in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, if they could put it up there for me, Luke 16, verse 14, Jesus gets done with the parable in Luke 16, and guess what the response was? Get this. This is hilarious. In Luke 16, verse 14, out of the New Living Translation, it says, now the Pharisees were lovers of money. And when they heard this, the New Living Translation says, they stuck their nose up or scoffed at him. After Jesus said you can't serve God or gold, Jesus said you got to be careful how you use your money. Jesus said when you use your money and you invest it into people, it can meet you in the next world. Jesus said you got to be careful how you handle your money. And what did the religious leaders do? The religious leaders scoffed at him and put their nose up in the air. That's the generation we live in, folks. When you're pursuing after money, when you're going after money, some people don't like it. They'll just put their nose up in the air. But I, I'm glad that Christ Point Church is not like that. Can I hear an amen? I said, I'm glad that Christ Point ain't like that. They dearly loved their money, and so they, they scoffed at him. Today, for a few moments, I want us to look at how God provides for his children. You say, Pastor, I just don't understand how I need to put God first. You see, we believe as Christians that the tithe, tithe represents the tenth. That means the tenth of everything that comes in your hand belongs to God. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the children of God would give a tenth to God. They would give it to the Levites, which were the priests of the temple. They would come once a week and they would give a tenth to the priest. That's what they did. That was the custom in the Old Testament. Now, some people like to debate do we need the tithe in the New Testament? Well, let me just break this down to you. If they tithed and gave their 10% in the Old Testament, and they done that under the law, how much more should we give the 10th under grace? Can I hear an amen? How much more should we be faithful with the 10th since we live under grace? I think that the New Testament teaches you should give much more than the 10th. I don't... You shouldn't just stop with the ten. You should be a generous Christian. Amen. I said you should be a generous Christian. Amen. And so I want to share with you, I'm so excited. Sister LaDonna, I was studying this last night, and I was so excited. And I think the preacher needs to get excited about the Word. And I, I, I got so excited because I saw something in the Word that i never seen before. And I want to share it with you about how God provides for His children. I want you to see in 1 Kings chapter 17... I want you to see how God provides for his children if you put him first. 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want you to see a story here, all right? I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to share with you a story. 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Listen to the story this morning. Elisha the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain, these years except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, 
get up from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him food and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had no rain in the land. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now listen to what happens. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and he went and came to the gate of the city. Indeed, a widow was there, gathering some sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful full of flour in the bin and a little oil in the jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that I may eat it and die. And Elisha said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as I have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me afterwards and make, me, and make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of your flour shall not be used up, nor shall the oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elisha, and she and her household ate for many days, and the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which was spoke to Elisha. Now let's look here, just for a few moments, how God provides for his people. If you put him first in your finances, you will see how God will always come through for you. Now this story takes place in a in a in the northern kingdom of Israel and the kings of Israel were wicked and they were doing things that they shouldn't be doing having orgies at the temple I mean it was pretty bad I mean the kings were really really bad as a matter of fact the bible says in 1 kings chapter 16 verse 33 look at this 1 kings 16:33 look how bad it was Ahab and Jezebel was over the kingdom. And the Bible says that they were the worst kings that it had ever been. The Bible says Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to prove or provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that was before him. So guess what, church? The nation was in trouble. The nation was sinning because the king was sinning. Ahab and Jezebel was a mess. And guess what? The prophet Elisha came along and prophesied to the kingdom and said, there's not going to be no rain on this nation until this nation repents. So the prophet was a voice of God. So I want you to see what's happening here. All, all the rain stopped. And guess what? If the rain stops, that means there's no harvest. And if there's no harvest, there's no what? There's no food. So it's a bad time in the kingdom. Ahab and Jezebel are wicked they're the worst kings and queens that's ever been. The rain has stopped. There's no food. And the prophet of God is prophesying. There's not going to be any rain. But let me just prophesy to this church today. It doesn't matter how bad it may be in this country or how divided we may be. It doesn't matter what the economy may be. God will always take care of his children. 
Did you hear me? He's always going to take care of us. And guess what? The prophet, God took care of the prophet even though there was a famine. Can I hear an amen? I said God took care of the prophet even though there was a famine. And I'm glad that God knows how to take care of us even in the midst of our struggle. And you know what happens? I'm about to shout here. Here is a prophet. There's no food to eat. He's hungry. Ain't no fried chicken. He's hungry. And guess what the Bible says? The Lord said, look at this, verse 4, 1 Kings 17 and verse number 6. The ravens brought him food and meat in the morning and meat and bread in the evening and he drank from the brook. Who brought him food? Everybody together. Now stop. Here is a man of God. He's in a what? A famine, right? Is there any food around? There ain't no McDonald's. Hackett's is closed. Can I hear an amen? He's hungry. The nation's in a mess. Ahab and Jezebel's wicked. God said to the prophet, tell them there ain't going to be no rain, but I'm going to take care of you though. And you know what God does? He sends ravens. And you know something about ravens? Ravens are consumers. They eat anything. They eat food. They eat anything. They'll eat a dead carcass. They'll eat anything. And isn't it amazing that God used a raven which has the tendency to eat the food instead of give it to you, he used a raven to make sure Elisha is fed. Did you all just get what I just said? He used a raven. A raven don't bring you food. Ravens eat the food. Do you know what God was saying here? This is the main point. God was saying, when you trust and obey my word, Elisha, I'm going to provide for you in ways and places where provision thought, where you thought provision could never come. Please put the main point up there. When you trust and obey God's word, He will provide for you in ways and places where you thought provision would never come. Provision don't come through a raven. Ravens eat your food, joker. He eats it. But God said, Elisha, I'm going to teach you something when it's real bad and all the supply is dried up and it looks really bleak. I'm going to prove to you that I can take care of you in places and I can provide for you by means that you thought could never come. Isn't that amazing? That's how God works. He provides for us in places and ways that we thought provision could never come. Amen. How many's ever been in a situation that God provided in a way that you thought, God, I don't know how you, pro- I-, I thought you would provide this way, but God showed up. He- he'll make people that don't even like you start giving to you. Can <laughs> I hear an amen? If you put him first, that's what happens. And you know what happens? God said, all right, prophet, Elisha, he says, I'm going to provide for you. Get this. I'm going to provide for you, but I want you to go to Zarephath 
and a widow is going to provide for you. Now hold on. A widow, a widow on a fixed income is going to provide for you. Because God says, I'm going to use people and places that you never thought could provide for you to provide for you. So the Bible says he arose and went to Zarephath. And he came to the gate of the city. Indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. How many would agree with pastor, you don't go to a widow's house to get provision? Come on, help pastor out. So he goes to a widow's house and he calls to her and says, please bring me a little what? And then, verse 11, he says, as she was going to get him some water, he called to her and said, well, since you're already getting me water, can you bring me a little piece of bread? Since you're already getting me some water, can you give me some crackers real quick? And guess what the woman said? The woman said in verse 12, and she said, and she almost, you can read like an attitude. She's like, now as the, as the Lord God lives, bro, I don't have no bread. I just have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm going to gather a couple sticks. I'm going to make a little food. I'm going to eat it with my son, and we're going to die. Now stop here. The prophet asked for what? Verse, verse 10, he asked for what? Water. Everybody say water. And then he asked for what? Verse 11, he asked for bread. Verse 12, the woman said, I don't got no bread, dude. I just got a little bit of flour and a little bit of water. Hold on. He said, bring me some water. She went to get water. He said, hold on, bring me a piece of bread. She gets an attitude and says, I don't have no bread. All I have, verse 12, all I have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. That's all I have, prophet. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm trying to contain my excitement because it doesn't make sense to me. The prophet is asking for bread. She says she does not have any bread but she does have flour and oil. What do you need to make bread with? Flour and what? There you go. The main point of the story is this. Number two, God will never ask you to give something that you don't already have the resources for. Did you hear me? The, the prophet said, the prophet said, Give me some bread. And the woman said, I don't have any bread. She said, but I do have a little bit of flour. I do have a little bit of water. She didn't realize that she already had the bread. It wasn't made, but she already had the ingredients to make the bread. When God asks you to give something, he's not asking you to give something you don't already have. He's asking you to give something you already got. You say, preacher, I can't give my tithe. You can give your tithe because he's asking you to give your tithe. Can I hear an amen up in this church house? 
If he's asking you to sow a sacrificial offering, you have the ability to do it because he wouldn't ask you to do something that you don't got the ability to do. Is there anybody in Christ Point Church can wave your hand and say, I know that God is a provider and if he asks me to do something, I have the resources to do it. So you can give because he won't ever put a challenge on you not to do something you don't have it. This woman... Didn't think she had it, but she did have it. She had the bread. She had the oil. She didn't think she had it, but she had it. And guess what? The woman says, I'm almost done. The woman says, verse 12. Y'all ready for this? Verse 12, 1 Kings 17, 12. She says, and so she said, the Lord your God lives. I don't have any bread, but I do have a little bit of flour and oil in a jar and she says, I'm going to gather a few sticks. And she says, I'm going to go in, prepare it for myself and my son. Can you, can you shout that underlined sentence for me? Shout it as loud as you can say it in the count of three. One, two, three. W one. Okay, that works. Now, hold on. You ready for this? Are you all ready? Main point. She assumed that everything that she did, that she did have, was for her own consumption. Sometimes our fear causes us to consume the little on ourselves. Oh, I'm about to shout up in here. Put, put the scripture back. Because what did she say? She said, I have a little bit of flour. I have a little bit of oil. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the little I do have on myself. I'm going to use it on myself and my son, and we're going to die. The point of the story is this. She used the little that she had for her own consumption and for her own family because that's what fear does. Fear causes us to consume the little that we do have for ourselves. We hold on to the little that we have because we are afraid that God will not provide and we don't know how it's all going to work out. But I'm going to let y'all know, folks, that if you would give your little in the hands of the master, he will take your little and he will multiply it and he will feed a multitude. You see, that's what we want to do. We want to hold on to the little. I, preacher, I don't want to give the little I have. It's my money. It's not your money. Release it. Release the little that you got. She said, I'm going to use it for myself and my son. My family, I worked hard for this money for 30 years. I'm going to use it for me and my family. Ugh. You're called to be a river, not a reservoir. You're called to be a vessel and not a container. That as a Christian, God has given you the ability. Every time you take a little shovel and you throw it in God's kingdom, God backs up a drunk a dump truck and he throws a blessing on top of you. So every time you use your shovel, there's a dump truck behind you getting ready to dump blessings on top of you. He wants to know, do you believe me with the little that you've got? 
Do you believe me? Can you release it? Can you release the little that you have? Now, hold on. And then, this is what's funny. (laughs) She says, I'm going to make it for me and myself. I thought she didn't have any bread. She just told the prophet she didn't have no bread. And now she's telling the prophet, I'm going to make some bread and we're all going to eat together. You see how we make excuses? I don't got it. You got it. You'll rake up every last penny to try to get what you want. You can get it. Verse, now get this, get this. Verse 12, get this. So she says, I'm going to prepare for myself and my son. Now on the count of three, let's try this again, okay? I want you to read the last part. Ready? That's underlined. One, two, three. Say it one more time. One, two, three. That we may eat it and what? That we may eat it and what? What's the main point? The main point is this. That's the outcome when you use your resources on yourself. When you use your little on yourself and your family and no more, you'll die. If you hoard it up to yourself, you'll die. If you become a reservoir instead of a river and a container instead of a vessel, you'll die. God has not called you as a Christian to be selfish. He's called you to be generous. He's called you to walk in such generosity. You say, well, preacher, I I don't know if I, I don't know if I believe that. Well, the Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 45, Acts 2, 45, the early church understood the principle of generosity. The early church in Acts 2, verse 45, look at what they did. The Bible says the early Christians sold all of their possessions and goods and divided among them all that everybody had need. The early church was so infused with generosity that they went out and sold the stuff that they had because generosity is a hard thing. Extravagant generosity. Not my little offering on Sunday morning. Talking about such generosity that you have the faith to believe God for not just a few dollars, but you have the faith to believe God for thousands. And Francis Chan, we saw last week, believed God for a million dollars. He took him a long time to believe God for that, but he every year he exercised his faith and believed God for the impossible. I'm talking about walking in such a spirit of generosity that if God asks you to give it away, you can relinquish it. That's the outcome. Is when you use your resources on yourself, you will die. Go back to the verse. The woman said, I'm going to eat it and I am going to die. I'm going to use it on myself. Verse 13, get this. Verse 13, but what did the prophet say? And Elisha said to her, do not fear. Don't be fearful, but do as I've said and make me a small cake. He says, get this. The woman said, Okay, prophet, I don't have no bread, but I'm going to take what I have. I'm going to make us something to eat. I'm going to eat. My son's going to eat. We're going to die. The prophet said, hold on. Hold on, lady. Don't be fearful. 
What I want you to do first is I want you to make me a small cake first. Make me a what? Make me a what? The main point is everything that God asks you is small compared to what He's given you. You say, Preacher, I can't give. Really? You can't give after everything He's done for you? You can't give something small after everything that God has done for you and we can't give? You see, you see the principle here. The prophet said, I know you're fearful. But what I want you to do is I want you to make me a cake first. It's kind of like you're, you're struggling and, and you come to church and the preacher's like, give your tithe, give your offering. You're like, I'm struggling. But see, that's the principle, folks. That's what we call faith. It's learning to put God first. Give Him our small. It's like the Bible says they took a little boy's lunch and the disciples gave it to the hands of Jesus. And they took the little boy's lunch and Jesus prayed over it. And that little boy's lunch fed 5,000 people. Because little is much when it's placed in his hands. Everything that God asks of you is small. He said, give me a small cake first. Because everything God asks you to do is small. But then he also says in verse 13, he says, do not be afraid. Do as I've commanded you. Make me a small cake first. Make me a small cake what? Make me a small cake what? The main point is, is God comes first. It may be small, but it should come first. You put him first. Oh, but my electric bill's high. You put God first. I got a, a student bill. You put God first. I got I to gotta buy my baby a new pair of tennis shoes. Put God first. I wish somebody would just help the preacher preach here. When you start to put God first, you'll not only get one pair of tennis shoes, you'll get another pair of tennis shoes. When you put God first, not only will he pay the electric bill, he'll pay the mortgage payment. When you put him first, there's an abundant supply. But what happens is, is that we hold on, hold on to that little, hold on, hold on to it because we're fearful. Put him first. And then, and then I love this, verse 14. When you put him first, for the prophet said, I'm about to shout, Grandma Beaver. The prophet said, when you put him first, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. What is the point, Pastor? When you put him first, he will always provide more than enough. Hallelujah! Why? Why, church, are we so consumed with our little that we can't let go of it? Why are we so consumed with the little that we have that we can't believe God for it? Put Him first. 
Try God and see it if it doesn't work. But pastor, you don't know all the bills I have. Put him first. You're doing it backwards. You put him first, he'll take care and bless the 90% where it takes care more than the 100 could ever take care of. I stand before you, I've, I've practiced it all my life. It's not something that I'm asking you to do. I do it every week. I do it every year. And I have seen God do the miraculous in my life. More than I could ever do. Give Him first. You know, the Bible says in Exodus 35 verse 20, Moses got up and said, I want all of you to bring a special offering because we're building a building. And so guess what? All the congregation of the children of Israel. I love this. They departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 21, look what happens. Then everyone whose heart was stirred, everyone whose spirit was willing, they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle, the meeting, and His service, and His holy garments. And the Bible says, verse 22, or excuse me, they were bringing an offering. Then Exodus 36, verse 5. Now guess what happens? And then Moses spoke and said to the people, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded. And then the Bible says in verse number 6, So Moses gave him a commandment and caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp. Let neither man nor woman do any more for the work of the sanctuary, for the people were restrained from bringing. And then the Bible says in verse number 7, For the material they had was sufficient for the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Moses got up and said, Folks, I'm taking an offering. I need to build this build. I need to do the. T- I need to build the tabernacle. I need to make things and furniture for the tabernacle. And the Bible says they kept bringing it and bringing it and bringing it. And the Bible says they brought too much. Because God will never ask us to do something that you don't have the ability to do. What would happen, church? What would happen if all of us would be generous? What would happen if we would move our heart and our heart was stirred to be generous people and gave? What would happen? I pray to God that we could experience, verse 7, that we would have so much that I'd have to get up on a Sunday morning and say, please, stop bringing your offerings. Stop bringing it. David said in 1 Chronicles, David said in 29 verse 3, they were building the, he was getting the material for the temple. David said, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above. He said, I'm generous. I'm just not going to give something I prepared to give every week. I'm going to give above and beyond to the house of God. Give me, I have my phone. I love this. I got a text yesterday. I'm not going to tell you who it was. Can I read it to you? Hi, Pastor. This is at 4.25 p.m. Hi, Pastor. I'm so excited. Me and my husband is challenging each other to raise money for the big offering in November. His tips have doubled, and he is contributing his tips to this cause. I have also sold some I have also sold uh, small lawnmowers and a big lawnmower that will also go to this cause. I'm amazed at what God is doing and how God's working it out. I've asked you on November the 4th 
I've been promoting this for several weeks, and please understand my heart. Please understand my heart. My heart is this. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not doing. I'm giving money every week to the bookkeeper to set aside for my offering. I'm asking this church to be so generous on November the 4th to give above and beyond what you normally give. I'm not asking for an amount. I'm asking that on November the 4th that right now you pray with your family, you pray with your spouse, you pray with them. And you ask the Lord on November the 4th, what am I to give? And I want you to give above and beyond. I want you to stretch your faith. Stretch your faith. Do something above and beyond. Listen, this couple said, we're selling lawnmowers. You, if you really want to be generous, you can. You can sell something. You can make something. You can make some pies. You can make some, you can do something. And why am I asking you to do this? Because I believe this church can do so much better than a very small percentage of its people tithing. I believe that if we all come together, we can just tithe and give and give above and beyond and we can see the blessing of God come on this church because all of us walk in generosity. Come on, somebody. I said, hallelujah. How many is with Pastor Josh? Hallelujah. I pray. I pray that the spirit of generosity would just grab your heart. Ask the Lord, Lord, let me believe you for something impossible. Sometimes I don't think we've grown in our giving. We've given the same amount for years. Do something extravagant. Stretch your voice. You ever read the book, The Blessed Life by Robert Morse? By Gateway Church? He tells in his book that the Lord says, I want you to give your car away. I know that's out there for some of us. And I'm not asking you to do that. But just to read the book and about how his heart was so moved by generosity that God was pricking at his heart. And he tells in the story how miracles would come because he learned to be a river and a reservoir. I'm not asking for a certain amount. I'm not even telling you what to do. I'm asking you to pray about it. And I'm asking for the Spirit to move upon your heart.